Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Anna Kadeka. Welcome to Couch Talk, which is an intimate place for intimate conversation to inspire pleasure, gratitude, and connection. So I'd like to introduce you to our guest today, Christina Wise. Christina Wise has been a dear friend of mine, and I've known her for a few years and has grown exponentially in her personal life and business life. And for several key reasons, I'm bringing her to you today to talk about her area of uh, divine expertise, marriage, and money. Christina is the founder and CEO of Good Life Companies, a multimillion-dollar award-winning enterprise that includes Good Life Realty, Good Life Mortgage, and The Paperless Agent, a training company that helps real estate professionals become savvy in building Good Life Companies. She's focused on creative leadership and technological innovations, earning countless accolades and invitations to speak at major industry events. She's been named one of the 100 most influential real estate leaders in the country. She's been highlighted in Evernote commercial as a small business case study and was featured by Apple for effective use of the iPad. She's been a keynote speaker multiple times and has an amazing marriage and money retreat that she's created. She's an incredible coach and expert in money management. Christina, it's great to have you here with us today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So, Christina, tell us how you got in, how you focus now on money and marriage, and why it's so important to you. <laughs> well, that's a, it's a there's no real short answer to that question, other than as you're aware of, in 2013, I got really sick and and nearly died. And so when I came back out of that, I realized where I had sort of my own um, intersection in life, where I thought, you know, if I'm going to do anything in life, what do I want to do? And my entire career had been in real estate. I'd been very successful and highly accomplished in that um, industry and in that area of expertise. But while, um, you know, while I sort of, uh, let's say, built my wealth and built my career in real estate, I learned a lot about money. And it's been a personal endeavor of mine since growing up very poor. And then I got, I went to college, started making a lot of money, thought income, a high income was the answer until I lost it all and went broke and was a single mom of two kids and realized I, you know, I had to figure this money thing out. So I I went on a search on a on a decade and um, probably read every money book there is out, um, and then did a uh, a postgraduate course, a seven year course in money and business, and I've really just studied it for my own purpose because I wanted to live a good life. I wanted to to figure the money thing out and realize, you know, it's really fundamental and foundational to living a good life because it, it's not about the money, but it's about living the life that we want. And money funds our ability to really succeed in having that good life. And and so anyway, I did. I studied money for my own purposes. Never intended to really share what I've learned and what I've I've invented for my own sake. And and um. But once I got sick, I I thought, you know, what do I love to do? You know, I've only done real estate because that's all I've ever known. I've been very successful there. But I do I want to do this the rest of my life? And and the answer was no. And so since I got a second chance at life and and thought, you know, just wasn't afraid of doing, you know, what my passions were, I realized, you know what, I want to teach others this money thing. I think I've really figured it out, and and I've been able to, you know, take my own self from growing up very poor and then um, finding myself broke at, um, you know, in my early 30s to a place where, you know, I've built a lot of wealth and prosperity. 
and um, have a second marriage that turned out to be very successful, again, with a lot of um, seeking of knowledge and education and is with a desire to want to design and live a good life and have a really great, abundant marriage as a part of that life. So that's where I am today. I wrote a book called Falling for Money, and, and my passion since getting sick has been sharing what I know with others. So that's, that's the shortest answer I've got. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? That's so good. And I know I can talk with you forever more about your story and more about the way. And you've said many times when we've talked is that, you know, um, we talk about the wealth, uh, wealthy, wealthy is what you've coined, is W-E-L-L, wealthy and wealthy. And that without wealth, that your recovery would have maybe taken a different turn and quite a lot longer. And so the key thing about prosperity, that we're using it for abundance in our health, in our relationships, in our families, in our community, and and that's where the abundance overflows. And that's, you know, really one of your um, star characteristics and, and definitely one of the reasons I love you so much, among many others. So today, Christine and I are going to talk about three critical areas in marriage and money. And the first being how critical it is to have a money conversation in your marriage. And the second thing is that understanding how money can fuel the marriage. You know, biblically it says, you know, where there's two or more gathered, it's exponential. So when we're one on our own, we have this 1x level, right? But when we're two together, it exponentially um, increases. So it's more than just each of us on our own. It's the, the power couple that we are together. And the third area that we're going to discuss today is about creating um, a process to designing your life. And you talk about how you plan for life dreams as a couple in this money and marriage concept. So, Christine, you had created these um, key points for understanding money and marriage. Let's talk about how do we begin having this critical conversation, even if we're single and with a partner thinking about getting married when we're at that stage, and then when we're in a marriage and there may be tensions going on. How do we begin this critical conversation and what are important components? Well, I, I, yeah, to, to elaborate a little bit on a couple things you said is, is first of all, is really a, adopting a philosophy of, of money, of really getting over maybe we have any hang-ups we have about it, which is really important to be able to design a life with money being a fundamental component of that. I mean, money is, and it is what allows us to, to you know, to buy basically the goods and services we need to, to survive, let alone, you know, live well. And so, but again, I think many of our hang-ups come from these, you know, the psychology of um, some narratives or stories we've created about money to make it bad or or negative, or any number of things we sort of adopt <laughs> or inherit from from our families, maybe growing up or our culture. But it's to understand, really, and part of the philosophy piece is, and the reason why I called it Wealthy Wealthy, is, is I really think to have a healthy relationship and a healthy life, when we talk about the health piece, the, the wealth and wealth are integrated conversations. So if you just are going after the money wealth, the W-E-A-L-T-H, 
then, you know, and you sacrifice your health, you sacrifice your relationships, you, you really sacrifice all the great things like the well-being and relationships and health to live in a good life. And what's the point? Then it is all about the money. And a lot of people do that. Um, and so I think many times we can be turned off thinking, oh, well, if I, if money, if I make money important, it's going to, it's going to hurt other parts of my life. But, and then there's on the other hand where people might want to live well, you know, the wealth piece, the W-E-L-L-T-H, but they never quite get there because they have some aversion to the money side. And, and the truth of the matter is to live well, it takes money to really fund that lifestyle, to fund health. And like you'd sort of, um, uh, touched on is that what I realized, like the reason why I was able to, to save my life basically is money saved my life. And that's totally in politically, you know, politically incorrect to say, but it cost me a quarter million dollars to get my health back. And I had to reach out to, to alternative medicine and, and doctors that aren't covered by insurance and different things to actually get to the bottom of it. And so my wellness was actually, you know, was in my life was sort of um, as, as sad as that may be or unfair or whatever, thank goodness I had the, like, the wealth side to bring my wealth, my well-being back. So it's really like looking at it's when we integrate these two together, like wealth and wealth, and we can be very centered and grounded in that concept, then money's for the sake, the wealth, money side of wealth is for the sake of wealth, living well and being well and feeling well and having relationships that are doing well then I think then we can um, let go of some of maybe the negative connotations or feelings that we have. But what I teach now is I, I call it my six P's to a prosperous life and a prosperous marriage. And, and I'll go through them pretty quickly. And it's the 10 P's. <laughs> I have six F's, which are the wealthy piece, the wealthy. And my six F's for living a good life are, are to, to be able to have your faith, to be able to live well with your family, is to have your finances in order that enable you to live well or to have your your feelings which is your mental physical emotional feelings and and how to um you know to feel well and then to have some fun in your life to be able to flourish which is like the personal development piece and just flourishing life and growing and the self-actualization piece and then the philanthropy is that you know with you know as we grow our wealth our money wealth we can give more and so we can have that i call it philanthropy with an f so those are the seven f's and what I call the seven F words for living a good life. But then the 10 P's are for our marriage. These are where we, um, to get to a place of prosperity in life and prosperity in marriage, are our 10 P's. And it starts with promises. And I, to your point, Anna, is that, that this is great. This conversation is great for people that are thinking of getting married, want to get married, and maybe it's not even in the horizon anytime soon or that are in a marriage and just want to improve their marriage, want to have a more vibrant, a more, a more um, healthy marriage. And I studied these, again, before I got married, married because I had a failed marriage the first time, and it was, it, was, it was a bad marriage. I mean, we fought all the time about almost everything, but especially about money. And it was very tumultuous, and it was bad for our children. And um, it was just it was unhealthy. It was very dysfunctional. But we fought, and I had no... I had no um, philosophy for marriage before going into it. I just got married because that's what you do after college. You know, you go to college and you get married, and then you have this wedding, and then it's supposed to be happily ever after, and that didn't work out for me that way. So after I got divorced and and went broke and all these things, I I studied marriage, and I mean, I studied money, like I talked about before, 
But I also studied marriage because I knew that if I ever did get married again, I didn't want to repeat what I did the last time. I didn't want another failed marriage. And I figured I would fail at money if I didn't study it. And I would fail at marriage if I didn't study it um, because they're both very complex um, life concerns. And so that um, I thought, okay, if I ever have a marriage again, what's it going to look like? So I did a lot of studying for that, too, and that's where I came up with my 10 Ps for what I wanted in a marriage. And the first thing, the first P is promises, and I looked at why did a lot of marriages fail, and, and it came to me like, oh, we say these vows, but these vows we say at the altar, are they're wrote, they're written by a priest or written by a pastor, written by, you know, even ourselves sometimes just to, to sound poetic and romantic. But And we say them as part of a wedding ceremony, but we don't keep them. We forget them probably the second after the honeymoon's over. And these vows are promises. And so I went to, I studied, like, what are the vows? And what does love, honor, and cherish mean? And so I studied the words and what love means. Love means um, we love someone for who they are. We love them for who they're not. And to honor means to hold somebody in high regard, to respect them, to honor them. And to cherish them means to hold their concerns as your own, to, to take care of them, to keep them safe, to protect them. So these are three words that we say, love, honor, and cherish, till death to us part. And, and then I looked at reciprocal vows, meaning what is it um, if I want my spouse to to love, honor, and cherish me, then I need to be lovable, honorable, and cherishable. I can't be a bitch all the time. I can't, I can't, you know, be selfish. I can't be naggy and whiny and all these different things. And, um, you know, I need to support him. I need to love him. I need to, to cherish him. And I need to be in a way that he can do those things to me too. So that was a promises piece is to make sure that we maybe we, we re-look at our promises, we re-look at our vows, give them distinctions, and then turn them into actions because marriage is a day-to-day. There is no unconditional in marriage. Marriage is very conditional. I mean, if we behave poorly, if we act like children or we just um, were mean or, or these different things, we shouldn't be up to ourselves to love us unconditionally in those sorts of conditions. Um, but, you know, if we're lovable, honorable, and cherishable, then, yeah, and then if each, if each person keeps those vows, I think it can keep a marriage really strong. And each day is another day to vow to keep those vows for action. So that's the promises. I could obviously talk a day on each of these. Then, um, and then it moves into philosophies. And philosophies are beliefs. Like, what do we believe in? And so when it comes to marriage, many times we've not checked in with our philosophies, even like just our life philosophy. But that's one piece. But when it comes to marriage and money, which is sort of where I wanted to intersect those, is, is what I've discovered is there's lots of there's lots of people out there that that will that um, teach marriage or, or relationship experts. And there's a lot of people out there that are money experts. Even myself, if I throw myself in that category. But there aren't many people out there teaching the money marriage piece. And these two are glued together. It's like the wealthy wealthy are glued together. The money and marriage is um, glued together too. So it's this is it's an intersection of how do we bring money into our marriage and how do we make our marriage really um, grow our money, like we said exponentially. So in the philosophy piece, so what are our beliefs about money? Where did those beliefs come from? What um, how do you believe and how do I believe? And where did we you know what are these feelings serving us or not serving us? And then establishing what do we want our our philosophies to be in the future? 
with the money as a, as a couple? Like, what do we want to believe as a couple? Is there, are there any beliefs that we want to let go of and create new beliefs? Because no beliefs are set in stone. We can change our beliefs at any time, even if we've grown up with them. If they're not serving us, sometimes it's best to let those go and create new ones. And the great thing about marriage is that we can we can invent our life together. Like, we can invent ourselves as a couple. Maybe we were... You know, one set of things is a single person, but now we can reinvent as a couple. And it doesn't mean we let go of ourselves as our identity, but we can design and invent what we want to be as a couple when we act as a couple or, you know, public or just when we live life as a couple. So what do we believe about money? And where, where do we want those beliefs that will serve us well moving into the future? And then what's our psychology? Like, the psychology or feelings? Like, how do we feel about money? And are those feelings healthy or unhealthy? And where did they come from again? And this is a really important conversation because many times when we behave badly in a marriage when it comes to these money conversations and um, or feel upset or hurt or, you know, those feelings just come up when the money conversation happens that turns us into these really heated negative conversations. It's usually, you know, it's not that we're bad people it's, or, you know, anything's wrong. It's just that there's deep psychology, these deep-seated emotions and feelings that come from our childhood. Maybe, you know, our parents thought about money all the time. So, you know, it was just um, so we believe that money is causes problems in, you know, in marriages or maybe, you know, the the dad did the money and the mom didn't. So we feel that's the way it's supposed to be in the future. But it's really important in the marriage when it comes to money to make sure that we that we address this, like what do we feel and how do we feel when the other form of money conversation comes up and how can we talk about it in a way that doesn't maybe trigger some of those feelings that, you know, we've had with us for a long time. But getting to the side, by getting bottom of psychology. And then the next key is purpose, is that, okay, now that we've sort of established some of these foundational things, what's our purpose as a marriage? What's our purpose of a couple? Where are we going together? What's the destination? What do we want our life to look like at the end so that we can be in those actions from this day moving forward to accomplish that outcome together? And this is where marriage gets to be so much fun and where it becomes a journey. So, for example, Gary and I, we've invented, we've created a story, a vision for what we want our lives to look like in the future, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. And, you know, and, and so each day we talk about and we're in that story together and enjoying the journey and drifting not apart, but, but really um, growing together because each day is like one day closer to that destination that serves us both, that we both want. And, and some of it's individual stuff and some of it's together, but it's what we both want and for each other and together. But it's determining that purpose. And then it's establishing like how much money is enough, like, um, what's the purpose of our money? Is the purpose just to blow through it and to to be stressed out all the time and, and not have any savings, not to build any wealth and, and to live maybe on Social Security only when we're, you know, when we're in our golden years? Or is our purpose to, to grow it and to be able to just um, uh, live life where life gets better year over year because we continue to grow our money and we grow ourselves and we grow our lives and, and we continue to invent and, and um, course correct when necessary. But that all comes from purpose, purpose of our marriage and the purpose of our money to serve our marriage and to serve the seven Fs um, that we've, we've um, set for ourselves. And then the, the last sort of foundational piece is what I call proficiency. And what I found is that many couples 
a big reason why there's friction in the marriage when it comes to the money conversation is because there's an unequal balance when it comes to money. Either one couple earns a lot more than the other. Sometimes, especially today, a lot of friction is when the wife actually earns more than the husband. And then a lot of times it comes where one person, one partner in the marriage has a, a much greater sense of money, like a money understanding or money proficiency or money knowledge, more so than the other. So the other one might feel insecure. And so a really important part of having a really powerful marriage is that there's a, that the same money proficiency, the same base fundamental foundational understanding of how money operates, how much money is enough, what's the purpose of our money, um, where does it fit? But that needs to be the same. But even if one's a venture capitalist or CPA and the other is a stay-at-home dad, <laughs> that's okay. That is, you can still have the same money proficiency based understanding that, that's um, imperative to be able to choose and design where you want your money to go and how you want it to fund your good life. So. Um, that's part of the, I think, commitment of both partners is that both need to go and learn that many proficiency and work on, you know, the, the philosophy and psychology and purpose piece too so that they set a really strong foundation for the money in their marriage. And then after, after that, but it's a, it's an obligation and commitment, I think, to go learn about money so that it's, it, it really sets the marriage up to be successful in the context of money and wealth and that both partners are on the same page so that it's a, it's, it becomes a really tender and intimate and powerful conversation versus the opposite. Then after so that's that, so key. Like, I think, go um, ahead. Christina, with that is so key, what you said, I don't want to breeze by it, is that you know it becomes this really concept of creating this connection between a couple, being able to see where the other's perspective is. and. Being able to um, you know, recognize there's a bigger purpose to being married and the, in our individual purpose within the marriage as well. And in that, that reverse engineering of where we want to be in 10, 20, 50 years, right? Winkly, crinkly, old and winkly, you know, with our partner we're still in love with tremendously and the family around us and, you know, their families around them all connected with the philanthropy that we've also given into the community made the world a better place. And I think that's really like keep looking at the bigger picture. And then understanding, like you said, with the proficiency is how we handle this money, how we are good stewards of okay. our money and what are we in like everything our every everything we buy has there's a flow to it, right? Money is energy, it's a transaction, there's a flow to it. I recently just published talking about, you know, uh, Roundup, glyphosate, and what we're yes. eating and that, you know, 80% of our corn and 90% or ninety percent of soy is all genetically modified and with GMOs, genetically modified organisms, and those are ingested by animals. Those are animals are ingested by us, and it, our children are affected. Our fertility is affected. Our health is affected. Our immunity is affected. Our microbiome our building blocks, let's say, are affected, and that's crucial to understand. So the same, you know, it's this, there's a flow to all of this and getting grounded with it, having this open conversation, being a wealthy, wealthy couple um, is, I mean, it's, it's really an important important process. I know you're going on to that next, but can you give an example of a couple you've worked with or, you know, or, you know how we can see this process 
um, more clearly? Yeah, I think um, it's it's really it's the couple things. You said it's it's to be good stewards of our money, and and what I believe is that being good stewards of our money is a responsibility of marriage. Like it's a responsibility for each partner in the marriage. And when we're irresponsible with money or we're not good stewards, it it affects it negatively affects the relationship. And you said the word connection or connectivity. It it um, disrupts the connectivity. It separates us, and and so money can be a glue or or in that that connectivity, or money can can be a divide. And you know, obviously, the goal is that it becomes the, the glue, and it becomes the connectivity and part of the conversation. But really, the ex is it becomes an exercise is to sit down and to have these conversations, is to to talk about. Each piece, each of these foundational pieces, it really requires learning, you know, both and, you know, this is my, it's what I teach, of course, but it's what I believe and what I found true to be true for me and where the biggest aha moments really come from, from the people that I coach is that, is that, that balance, is that proficiency piece, is that, that really base understanding so that both couples can design from the same place. But again, if we don't have a, a proficiency in money understanding of how just money operates, and money's not rocket science, money's simple, but like anything in life, we have to learn it. And money's the one thing that we learn all these specialties. We spend, you know, many times decades, like in your case, Anna, to, to um, learn the, the, to become a doctor and all the specializations and specialties you have, and you dedicate your life to, to that learning, to that knowledge. And we, we do that to, you know, most all of us when it comes to our work and our, our talents and specializations into other areas of life. But we don't offer, most of us, we don't give, um, we don't go learn about money. And money impacts, money affects every area of life, right or wrong, <laughs> um, good or bad, I don't know. It just is. And so, um, and it's such, like I said, it's such a key ingredient in a successful marriage, and it tends to be a key ingredient in a um, unhealthy marriage, is you know, a marriage season where there's a lot of um, upset and fighting. But, you know, we need to learn this money proficiency piece. And that's just, you know, there's lots of books out there. There's, there's different courses. There's, there's um, you know, plenty of places to, to start gaining that understanding. But it's really crucial. And I really... Um, invite couples to start learning about money together because it can change everything if you're married and it sets up for such a stronger relationship or such a much bigger opportunity to not only succeed but to um to just um flourish if you know before you get married if you come into this with these conversations and doing some of these exercises beforehand and again if you know when people don't learn about from these things from me, there's there's lots of others out there. But I think the hardest thing many times and the difference what I teach is that um, that you can learn about money, but when you can learn about money and marriage together, money and relationships together at the same time, it can be um, it can really amplify sort of that that learning it's um, it's inserting the context of the money conversation into a bigger conversation of how do we design it into our marriage just not learn about money separately. But anyway, yeah, that's the proficiency piece. And, and it is about flow, which is really the, that's the next piece, in fact, is that once we go from the proficiency, we create this plan, 
for our lives, and we start, I have, that's where my seven F words, it's like, okay, what do we want to be in life together? And it's creating some goals and a plan and, and a vision for what we want our life to look like in each of the seven F words, the faith, family, finances, our, how we feel, just our vitality, our fun flourish, and then our philanthropy. And then, but the next piece is about the process, and the process is the process for our money. And this is the real money piece of the marriage. And it's all about flow. You said it, Anna, that, that money is about energy. It's about flow. And, in fact, my process I teach is called cash flow. And it's a K, my name's Christina with a K, so I call it cash, K-A-S-H, flow. And it's a part of what I call my KISS money system. And KISS stands for Christina's income saving and spending system. So, um, but it's all about flow. Um, our our life flows, energy flows, our marriage flows, and and we want to design that flow. We want everything to flow in the right direction. We don't want it to drift off and flow in the wrong direction. But the process is about cash flow, and this is what I teach. I teach um, um, just a cash flow um, chart is like how we chart our money, and so I teach a total cash flow chart, which is sort of a, an evolution of a budget. But budgets are about restriction, and cash flow is about abundance. It's about growing growth and flowing. It's like, think about it, a metaphor that I'd like to talk about is think about a, a stream that's a teeny tiny stream at the very top of the mountain, and then there's all these tributaries that, you know, as the money, as the, as the water flows down the, the mountain, down the hill, all these tributaries and other little tiny streams are um, flowing into that starter stream, and by the end, it's a gushing river because all those, all those all those um, water flows are flowing into the one river that becomes, and it just grows. But it's all flowing, and it flows together. But all, the, again, the, the energy, the power of that river at the end and the current is so much bigger, just exponentially more powerful than all those streams by themselves. And that's what we want to do with our money, so that it, it flows like that, and it grows, and it great, creates just that same current and um, um, uh, uh, strength that 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 and energy and just think of a gushing river and just all that energy and that beauty and that flow and that can be your money and that's what we want but we tend to not set it up that way and so we want we set it, want to set up a cash flow chart that's about that flow and then we want to I have these cash flow categories of how we categorize our money in different ways so that we can organize it and design it and and send up the spending plans so that we know how much to spend in each category and then we give ourselves allowances. And this really takes out many times what happens with couples and, and where we get into trouble is that you're the saver and I'm the spender. And so I'm mad at you all the time because um, you want to save and you're mad at me because I spend too much and I don't and I want to spend. And so and we tend to attract our financial opposites. And so we just fight all the time. You're saving and I'm spending. And and so, again, it becomes this point of argument or friction. But the thing is, is really it's like a vibrant marriage is is um, is you will have a saver and a spender. Because if you just save and never spend on life, then, you know, we have no lots of people that have boatloads of money, but they never spend a dime. And they never, they sort of just um, live in this very sort of greedy, it's all mine and I can't spend it. And, and it doesn't flow out. Like we have to spend to keep it flowing. 
but we have to save to be able to spend and not be broke. So it, it's really this yin and yang of being able to spend and save. But the key is, is that because we don't learn this, we don't know how much. How much do we need to save and how much do we need to spend and how much do we need to invest and what does that compounding look like? And this is part of the proficiency piece. But it's like we need to save and spend, but we need to know the cash flow categories and we need a cash flow formula. And it's a formula where we put a percentage to how much do we spend and how much do we save and how much do we invest and how much do we use to pay off our debt and how much do we use to fill up our buckets and how much money is enough and where are we flowing it into all these different categories, into these different buckets and the savings bucket system that I have. And But by the end, when you go through, like, say, for example, my cash flow process, you know. You know how much money to invest. You know much, how much money to save. You know how much money to spend. You know where you're going to flow your cash into what buckets, with your savings accounts. And you're going to have a whole process, a plan and process for your money as a couple. And that's um, – and then it takes all the arguing out of money because you set this plan, you more or less automate it, and then it's, you just put your money, both your monies, into the funnel, and it flows in the right direction. And, and it's just like the currents, again, of the streams and rivers. It's the path of least resistance. And when we create our cash flow system, the money will flow to where we direct it to, to flow. And, um, and we don't even have to put a lot of thought into it. And the fun thing is a couple then is when you start talking about this, is in watching it grow and watching it and I'm spending to do the things and you're saving to do the things according to our plan and the pro- you know, part of the process is that money becomes a really fun conversation. This is where it becomes the glue. So for with Gary and me, we talk about money all the time and, and we just, you know, we just bought a new house and it was just so fun. And, you know, we filled our buckets and, and we're in the process of this and it just, and we know we're way within our cash flow formula. So, we're not out of budget with this. It, it all fits. It's all according to plan. And, and we never thought we'd be here where we are today. And, our, you know, our, our, our money part of our wealth is just, you know, it's just funding these different um, parts of our life that are making it more meaningful. And that's a big thing of all this is, like, a couple things I say is, you know, we want to – we want money because money gives us time and freedom for creation. So make money about creation, not consumption. And to make money about meaning and not material. And so part of getting to the bottom of all this is what is, you know, what, what's meaningful to us? And, and this is all part of the process is being able to decide these things in a plan and, and the purpose is what, what is meaningful? And if we want to, and what is freedom? And, and what do we want to create? And, you know, let's make it less about consumption. And what do we want our spending to mean? If it's not about material, what is it? What is it about? Not the material fads. The material is just fine, but the, the material brings some meaning and brings some joy and happiness to, to each each person. And so that's um, then from there it turned into a practice, and that's where it becomes a regular conversation. And it's a conversation to look forward to. Many of us, what happens is we just dread having the money conversation or bringing up the topic or or whatever. So we just know it's going to be a fight or it's going to be tension, and so we put it off and we postpone it and and um and procrastinate it and you know then it usually comes up when it's a worse time but when it becomes a practice gary and i we have quarterly money retreats we text, talk about money on a regular basis we have many dates and um yeah you know just all these things where money becomes a flirtation even and it's just a normal part of our conversation we talk our money talked about our money like we talk about our kids like we talk about the weather like we talk about um 
our exercise plan, you know, any other just normal topic that's really important to our marriage and our life and our health and our well-being and our friends and our family, it's just a normal conversation. But it becomes a normalized, very healthy conversation. But it becomes blue because when we see our wealth grow, when we see our dreams being manifested as a couple because we're on the same page and we're inventing and acting and and building these things together, we just get this, we have this joy in our life that's really deep and profound. And people see it when they're with us. I mean, they see it in our marriage. And it's not by accident. You know, none of those by accident. It's just by like, like a lot of design and planning and, and desire and um, putting these things all into practice. Because we all know we can talk about anything all day long, but until it's a practice and it's a habit and it's a lifestyle, it has, it has no impact. And then finally, um, we create a pact, which is an agreement between both of us that says, hey, you know what? We've talked about our philosophies, our psychologies. We have our purpose. We've gained a similar money proficiency. We have a plan. We now have a process for our money, and we're into practice. Now we have a pact that we're going to follow the process. We have a pact that no more fighting below the belt. We have a pact that we're in it together. We have a pact that, you know, even if this money sometimes still, money still can, like anything, the in-laws can provide a heated conversation between Gary and me sometimes. But we, we don't fight and never fight below the belt. We're always in it to get to the same outcome, a desirable outcome, even if we agree to disagree sometimes. But the pact means we're in it together. Um, it's not about you being wrong and me being right. It's about us producing a, an outcome that we both want. And that's the pact is, is to, to act in a way and be in a way and be a good partner and to follow the process and to move according to our spending allowances so that we can flow our money and have it grow and let it flow into the flow of our life. And then finally, that turns us into being true partners in life. Like, just like business partners, you have to have a vision, you have to have a plan, you have to um, be, each person has to act a certain way for that business partnership to work. And the same with marriage. Like, marriage can be a very, powerful, vibrant, healthy, wealthy partnership. And it's better than any other partnership because there, there can be a level of trust there. That's the end-all goal is trust as partners because I certainly trust Gary as my life partner more than I trust any other business partner because he and I have the same agenda. We have the same desired outcome, and any business partner is not going to have my maybe the same business outcome but certainly not the same life outcome. But he's my best business partner. He's my best life partner. He's he makes, and besides just the partnership, it's someone, it's my companion. He's my companion in life. So that's the 10 P's. It's promises, philosophy, psychology, purpose, proficiency, plan, process, practice, pack, and partnership. And that um, that all equals prosperity. So obviously I, I talk really fast. There's a lot to get through. It's a three-day course that I teach. Um, so there's a lot in each one of those. But what the beauty of it is that each partner can um, – design these individually and then design it as a couple so that we can just we can just live life and live life the way we want it to be, which is good and is healthy and fun and you know, we can just suck the juice out of life and then take that juice to put it back into the world and let it flow back out to make the world a better place. I think that that's all so beautiful. Really, Christina, the ten Ps I like that and I like how you give us these and acronyms to help us to to remember, okay, well, what am I, you know, even just writing these down, if everyone can write these down, uh, Christine, I'll have you say them again, just write these 10 Ps down and put them on your refrigerator. Let's look through these and, and this is a, these are good points to just visit. Christina, t- say your 10 Ps again, please. 
Yeah, I'll say them again, and I'll send you over a little um, image, too, that you can post up, and it's a triangle. Sure. So think of the triangle that the foundational pieces are very thick at the bottom, and it goes up to the, the point at the top, and the very top of the triangle is prosperity. So everything lays on the foundation of our promises, of our vows, of, of our commitments, you know, where our words mean something, and, um, you know, we mean what we say, and we act with those words, but it starts with promises. Then it's our philosophy, which is our, our beliefs, our individual beliefs, and what we want our beliefs to be as a couple as we design our life together, and what we want our philosophy, our newfound money beliefs as a couple, as our marriage to be. Then the third piece, psychology, what our feelings about our marriage, our feelings about each other, why did we get married? And what, how do we feel about money and how we, how do we want to feel about money moving forward? And are, are there any feelings that maybe that aren't serving us and beliefs that aren't serving us that we want to get over? And what can we reinvent those, those beliefs and those feelings that psychology piece into? Then the fourth one's purpose is what do we want, what do we want the purpose of our marriage to be? What's the vision? What's the destination? Where are we headed? Where, you know, if we're both going together, what do we want that to look like? And what, what's the purpose of our money? How much money is enough? How do we want it to serve us? Um, that's a boat out on the lake I'm sitting next to. And then um, the two boats are honking to each other, in fact. And then what's the, the fifth one, the, the proficiency, is, is what, what do we need to learn about money? Are there gaps? Um, what do we need to learn together so that we can have the same money understanding so there's an equal balance and that, um, you know, we, we neither one of us feels superior or inferior because being equal is very important to having a healthy marriage. If one, you know, feels inferior in any context, it typically doesn't work all that well. So what, you know, where do we need to learn? What are our gaps? Um, where can we learn together? Then the sixth one is a plan. What's our plan? What's the, what are our goals? What are our goals in our, our seven F words? And, um, you know, what, what, what sort of actions do we need to put into play? What do we need to do differently? What's our plan for maybe the next three months, um, six months, 12 months? You know, do we want to plan out any, any um, you know, um, much further out, but certainly in the next 12 months? In the process, what's our money process? Do we budget? Do we do Christina's cash flow? But what's our process? Is a rigor, you know, is, is something that we do, the process that we both agree on, that we follow, we're in it together, that we're checking our money regularly. Like money's like anything. It needs attention. It needs respect. I, you know, um, I, I think of it as like money's like our third lover. Like we respect it. We love it. We honor it. We cherish it in a way that's healthy. Any love relationship can be healthy and functional. Um, or it can be unhealthy and dysfunctional. And same with the money. Like, is honoring our money, being good stewards of it, being responsible, loving it, honoring it, cherishing it for the good that it can do for us and others is, is a really healthy thing. So um, what's our process for that is making sure that we give it the attention and intention that it needs. And then um, what's the practice? What are we going to do as part of our practice to make sure we're um, in action with our money all the time and our marriage? What's our path? What are our agreements now that we've gone through this process together? And, and let's do a handshake. Like we're partners, we're in this together, and life is, we have a life companion. So life can be a lot more fun and less lonely by having a companion to go through, but then a partner, meaning that one plus one equals five or any, any exponential number we want to give to it. And that's the real purpose of the partnership is, is the power that it can just make life overall better.
Uh, those are fantastic. Christina, I want uh, to tell people how to get with you, how to learn more from you as well, and we'll have a link up on our Couch Talk page, but also um, we've had a couple questions come in that I'd love to ask you. So um, do we have uh, 10 more minutes? Is that okay? Yeah, that works for me. Great, perfect. Okay, so um, Christina's website is K-R-I-S-S-T-I-N-A dot com. So Christina dot com. Very simple. And I always remember Christina with two S's because think, kiss Christina, two S's. Ah. (laughs) So she does everything really romantically around the wealthy, wealthy, and it's about couple love and relationships. So that just suits. Um, so Christina.com with two S's. Remember that. Please check out her website, and we're going to have a link to your um, free ebook, right? Yeah. So I'll give you um, I'll give you a free chapter of the the book. I have um, I'll give you an image of the ten P's, and we can even throw in a workbook or something. Perfect. That sounds great. Thank you. So the first question that we had come in was. Um, this. I was the primary breadwinner in my marriage, and I thought I'd be okay with it, but it caused a rift. What could I have done differently? <laughs> That's a, I love that question. Uh, one of the reasons why my first marriage was a failed marriage, uh, like I said, we, we thought about money all the time, but I was the primary wage earner, and it threw havoc on our, on our marriage, and we just didn't agree on money on anything. But what works for what works for Gary and me, and I think really the secret to it is the process. And so when you when you when you identified all like I don't use the word budget because I don't like the word budget, but let's just say budget for lack of better words since we all understand what that means. Let's say we have mine's called our cash flow system, but if we have a budget and we both agree to all let's say the saving and spending inside that budget. And we have a purpose. We have a plan for our marriage. We know where we're going. How it works is that it doesn't matter. Like when we're in this, we have this purpose for marriage and we have a pact. And all when, when our 10 Ps are set and we're like we're in this together and it's, you know, that like we're both like mentally and emotionally and psychologically in that mindset, like we're in it together. I think that's key. That's number one. That's, that, that has to be first. So if I use Gary and me as an example, that's us. Like, we, we know we're going together. So what we do is it doesn't matter who earns more money. In fact, some years I earn more and sometimes he earns more at this point in our, our lives. But it doesn't matter because what matters is the sum of the two together. Because even like Gary and me, Gary is successful on his own, I'm successful on my own. Neither one of us really needs each other in that capacity, let's say, to succeed in life or succeed in our careers. And both of us make pretty good income. But why, but by virtue of putting our money together, our lives together, number one, but our money together, our money together is can grow so much faster and it, it accelerates and um, can create so much more combined than it can even individually. So for us, it doesn't matter who's earning more because it all funnels into the same place at the top because the more money we can funnel at the top despite who who earns it, the better it flows through in all the, the appropriate places where we're, we're flowing it, like we're, we're um, directing it according to, like I said, let's say your budget, for lack of better words, and, um, and all your savings buckets and everything when all that's been pre-established. 
and it doesn't matter. You just throw money in the funnel, and it's our money, and the more money we can flow in, it doesn't matter who earns more. But one of the paths has to be, remember the path piece, the path is there's no, there's no power um, plays with money. That's, that's against the rules, you know, is that it's our money. We're flowing it in. Who cares? The more the better when we flow it in. And um, it's going to – because the outcome, the output of funneling it through the cash flow system is that it's going to fill our buckets. It's going to fill, fill our dreams. It's going to build our wealth. And, and, um, and we both live off of that, and we live our life based on that output that we put in together to serve us both equally, individually, and as a couple. So it's really the when you go through the ten Ps, it just takes that that power struggle off the table because it doesn't matter anymore. But you, it's a mindset going in, if that makes sense. No, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. So I like that it's the it's the sum of the total. It's and it's the pack around it that you have. Again, it's that I, I would say that reverse engineering. What's our ultimate goal, right? And mm-hmm. what are the enduring qualities around this versus? the pet peeves or the minutiae and the minutiae can get in the way can be really muddy water mm-hmm. so understanding okay but reverse engineer that end goal of a long-standing happy healthy marriage and so that's key another question is um how do you the question that came in how do you create partnership around finances and i think that's um all of your seven year 10 p's and how do you create yeah. partnership around finances? The partnership, when it becomes when you when it becomes a practice, meaning you're you're looking at your money all the time, and you're having conversations about it, it it almost automatically becomes a partnership because you're talking about it, you're seeing it grow, and sometimes it doesn't grow. Gary and I, we we you know we've like I mentioned earlier. We've both had real estate careers. And so remember 2007, the market crashed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it hit all of us. Um, it, it, you know, it hit the entire country despite what industry you were in because, you know, it threw us into a recession. But the real estate industry was killed. So, you know, we've gone through times where, you know, money was slim. You know, we went from making a lot of money to making very little during, you know, those you know two or three years in the real estate industry. So, um so it does sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but the flow, the percentages and everything stays the same. But the point is that even when money was flowing a lot and even when it slowed down to almost a trickle, but then it sped back up again, we were still having the same conversations. We still had the same practices. We still went to our money retreats. We still talked about, okay, we need to reduce expenses here and let's do that. And it surfaced because, again, we're in that same – with that same – um uh, destination together so we knew we had to we had to work on it together but because we're in it together we are a team we are a partnership and the way I think about it again just like any business partnership if both business partners don't have the same vision the same sort of long-term destination goal that business partnership is probably not going to work if the business partners don't have regular conversations of how the, the business is doing and are we hitting our goals and you know, how's the money doing? Um, that business partnership probably isn't going to work. If there's not sort of, um, uh, if uh, promises aren't kept and the conversations aren't healthy and um, or just are infrequent and not happen at all, that business partnership probably isn't going to work. So the same with marriage. Marriage can be a partnership. 
But we have to act as partners. We have to want the partnership. And what partners means means we're both on like these parallel aligned paths going in the same direction. We're heading there together because we want to both go to that same place. It's like both you and I as friends saying we want to go to Paris together. So we're going to do all these planning. All the planning is going to get us to Paris. But if we don't know we're going to Paris, we just want to go on a trip and, you know, I think I'm going to Hawaii and you think you're going to Paris, we're just, you know, you know we can't get on the same destination together. There's not going to, like, we're not going to be partners in that. Like, we're not going to end up in the same place. We're just going to fight about it. So the partnership really comes naturally as um, as the vision and all the other pieces are set. It, it creates the partnership, um, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. That's a great question. Now, how about for the singles there? The question comes in, I'm entering a new marriage. How can everything about our finances be sorted out? There's certainly a spender and a saver in this relationship. I think that um, those that aren't married and dig into the 10 Ps, you don't need me. Like I, I have, um, I will have an online course for this, but right now I do a, a three-day workshop for couples to, to where they, they, we, we all work on these 10 Ps together and set these things and create them uh, as part of the three-day workshop. So it's that's I've created the workshop to create give couples the opportunity to. So to have that space and make it a destination, a goal, and go do it together. But you don't have to come to a three-day event. You have the 10 Ps. You can talk through these things. And if you go to christina.com forward slash blog, I'm writing a 10P part series. So, in fact, this coming week is packed, so we're almost at the end. So you can even – you and your your um, future partner-to-be – can read even through the 10 Ps. I have my Falling for Money book if you want to read sort of some process and proficiency piece to gain a money understanding. But the point is that start working on these 10 Ps together. Start talking about them. Start working through them. And if, if you can get sort of start establishing these things before you get in the marriage, oh, my gosh, like all that, all that um, power to you because many times, you know, the marriage isn't necessarily working and we're trying to fix things. And it's much harder to fix things and to reinvent from that place than it is just to sort of invent from scratch. And things evolve. Things change. We change. Gary and I are very different since, you know, we got married. Um, but we continue to grow together. And, you know, we've been married. We just celebrated our ninth anniversary. And, and you know, I, I love him more than I, I did the, you know, day, you know, we got married, and it's just because our marriage is so much richer through these conversations. But Gary will tell you, I like I said at the beginning, I, I studied this. Before, I studied marriage, believe it or not, before I got married because I didn't want another failed marriage. And first mm-hmm. marriages now, the divorce rate is somewhere between 45 and 55%. And six, second marriages, the divorce rate is somewhere between 65 and 75%. So knowing the statistics alone, I thought there's got to be sort of a method to the madness. Like there's got to be some sort of secret sauce to healthy marriages because some people have them. And so before Gary and I got married, I talked through all these things. And on our honeymoon, we, we we actually did this work on our honeymoon. And, you know, he laughed. He said, you know, most people are, you know, off doing things on our honeymoon and you have this working. And I said, well, as long as you have a lot of great sex in between all these conversations, I mean, that, that should, be good <laughs> you know, that should be good enough, right? So he was happy with that. Right. <laughs> It was not a painful process, not at all. No, exactly, exactly. 
Good sex after yeah. tea conversation. How about that one? Well, I think too, like this huge key that I see in you and Gary, you know, in your, in, this is your second marriage and you have kids from your first marriage. I have my first daughter, Brittany. She's my first daughter, even though I didn't give birth to her, right? And Gary hit the nail on the head. He said, you know, Christine's kids are my kids. I mean, from the okay. beginning, they're my kids. And it's that whole sense of ownership. We're owning our existence as a family. And owning your marriage as a, you know, an entity, the most valuable thing that we have to nurture, to invest in. And we are exposed mm-hmm. to tremendous mediocrity in our world. Mm-hmm. And so keeping out the distractions, keeping the focus on the marriage, on our entity, on our ownership of the marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those 10 Ps that you put into process, and that can work in so many ways in our life, but so crucial. I mean, it's really valuable. Christina, you've shared so much valuable information with us today. And I want to encourage all our listeners to go to Christina.com. Christina with two S's. Remember, kiss Christina. Christina.com. <laughs> and, um, sign, you know, definitely sign up for her blog. I appreciate your time, Christina. I appreciate all your wisdom. What last um, wise, because Christina's last name is wise, so this is the wealthy, wealthy, the marriage and money, the wise way. Um, What are some uh, last words of wisdom for us? I think you said it. um, Yeah, you said it, that that our marriage, our marriage, there's nothing more important than our marriage, really. Like, it offers so much to life, and if it's, if it's vibrant and it's healthy and it's strong and it's headed in the same direction and we have our money in order and, you know, it's, it's part of um, a wealthy, wealthy conversation. It just makes life that much richer. And it doesn't mean we can't have a rich life without it. But, boy, when we can get the marriage part down, um, there's nothing better. And I think many of us know, too, there's nothing really much worse than being in a bad marriage. I, I certainly love that, too. So, yeah, let's all just uh, think about our significant others and what we can do to maybe love, honor, and cherish them and think about ourselves and sometimes how we can be a little bit more lovable, honorable, and cherishable moving forward and to make sure that we put our money back in the marriage so that we can um, grow our wealth so that we can live wealthy. I love it. Here's to everyone, lovable, honorable, and cherishable. Thank you very much, Christina. Thank you to all our listeners. And... um, Go to DrAnnaKabeca.com, can sign up for our blog and our Couch Talk editions, and also on iTunes as a podcast. So thank you all for being here.